you have memories that you associate with those emotions and a lot right. of those come from the hippocampus so that can be activated too mm. plus on top of that when <laughs> you're watching films you have different processes um that are interpreting colors and interpreting sounds that go along with the emotion that you're feeling Hi, my name is Logan Benson, and I'm a writer for the website Intellectual Crime Scene, and this is the pod, aka I am not an expert, but that is okay. And in this first official episode, I am speaking with my friend and guest, Rachel Mustachio, and then in this episode, we talk about the psychology of film. Also, do stick around to the very end, for I will give you information on how to stay connected with us on social media. Also, I just want to give a huge shout out to a local artist and musician named Alec Paul, whose song, Did I Kill the Mood, is the song that we're using for this first episode. Thank you very much, Paul. I appreciate you. And if you guys want to appreciate him, please visit his SoundCloud at APYCM. Again, that's APYCM. Thank you. Hi, um, I have a very special guest here today. Her name is Rachel. Do you want to introduce yourself, Rachel? I'll introduce myself. Okay, go ahead. Hello, my name is Rachel Masaccio. I'm a... Wait, is it pistachio or... I'm just kidding. Pistachio. <laughs> okay, well, I, I'm going to call you pistachios. Is that okay? Yes. All right, fine. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I'm a senior at University of Buffalo. I'm majoring in psychology, and I'm minoring in media study. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. What do you, uh, so what do you want to do with your degree? People ask me this all the time. I have no idea. That's because you need to know. That's why. <laughs> I'm interested in film psychology. So nice. any sort of research I could do into that, I think I would enjoy. Well... Thank you. I'm happy that you're here. I appreciate you. Um, so my name is Logan Benson. I am, well, I was, I went to UB. I went to UB, same school as Rachel. Um, just graduated in May um, and uh, in media production. And um, I love school so much that I applied for the master's program in the same department. And um, I got accepted, and I start my master's program in the fall, fall of 2019. So that's exciting. Um, but let's see, what do I like? I like making films, specifically short films, um, more on the like creative end, more on the like experimental, avant-garde type films. Um, one of my I wouldn't say favorite filmmakers, but filmmakers who inspired me um, are uh, Ken Jacobs, Martin Arnold, um, and Hollis Frampton, so many other filmmakers, um, Tony Conrad. Um, and I just like their style, the way they focus more on the materiality of the film as opposed to the... Um, how would you put it? Uh, as opposed to the actual like narrative. But I think it's important to tell you guys what the show is. So the show is called The Pod, and I'm your host, Loga. Um, and basically what we're going to be doing is every other week or so, we're going to be getting together and picking a topic that really interests us, that we're curious about, and talking about it. Um, 
There's also like a, isn't there like a, like a tag, not a tag. There's like a sub title for this show. Like you came up with it yesterday. What was it? Oh yes. It's I'm not an expert, but that's okay. That was perfect. Okay. So uh, without further ado, we will get into it. So, okay. Okay. Um, so the first thing that we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about the process, right? Or we're going to talk about the theories, right? How, um, yes, no, go ahead. Oh, yep, that's it. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about the basic emotion theories that there are. Right. So, um, so one theory about um, like the way in which people experience emotions right um when they're watching a film uh that's the james lang's theory right so william james and carl lang which uh, who were 19th century scholars um who were interested in uh not only emotions but specifically how those emotions are interpreted in other people right um so one of their um, hypothesis, or I guess we'd say one of their premise um, from their research is that uh, physiological arousal instigates the experience of emotion. Do you agree with that, Rachel? Is that, is that a true, true statement? Um, Do you have any qualms about that? Uh, <laughs> I, no, I don't agree with it. Ah, you don't agree with it. Why? Gosh. I wasn't prepared for this question. (laughs) Well, I don't agree with it because I think it's not a good premise. I think, uh, I don't think, okay, so for me, it's it's the emotion first, and then it's the physical response, right? Um... But it's tricky when it's the word physiological, right? Because physiological, you mean you're talking about physical response and a kind of psychological response or like or like a neurological response, right? Yeah. So it's a combination the, of the two. Yeah, I think the problem is I know that there is a physiological response and there is a cognitive response. I'm not quite sure what happens first. Mm. Right. And there were so so there were other people who actually kind of pose the same question that you had, right? So it was, so in the 1920s, um, as a kind of offshoot from the William James and Carl Lang's theory, you have Walter Cannon and Philip Bard, right? So that was the, what was it, the Philip Bard theory? What was that? Oh, no, the Cannon Bard, Cannon Bard theory. Um, and that one was kind of what you said about how the physiological changes follow emotion, Um but then there was another one after that, and that was the, the yeah. Stanley. Yeah, yeah. So can you like, what was what was their conclusion for them, their findings? It was, it was that um, both the physiological changes and the conscious mental processing are happening almost simultaneously, and mm. that causes you to have an emotion. So it's so. Are you thinking about it? So when you let's say when you watch a film, for example, um, and there's all these like emotions coming at you. So are you so cognitively? So according to the Stanley Satcher and Jerome Singer, uh, with the two-factor theory of emotion. So are they saying that you're thinking about the emotion and then you experience it, or like what are they? What are they saying exactly? I think they're saying. Um 
you have the physiological arousal, like you have like the actual changes to your body, like your heart racing or your hair standing on end. Mm. Or for me, it's like my armpits get really sweaty. So that's <laughs> <Yeah>. for <laughs> Okay. Then let me try and gather my thoughts here. Like, are they saying, so, so, so you're, so I guess like the levels, like how much you feel that emotion is um, a testimony of how much you're thinking about it. Is that, was that what they're saying? I think it's not so much how much you're thinking about it, but more like the association that you already have with mm. it. Like okay. if, um, like we talked about before, if you're someone who has PTSD and you're watching a war film, right? Like you already have those sort of um, associations with war and with that sort of emotion. So mm. that paired with the physical response that you're having towards it, that mm-hmm. causes you to have an emotion. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So okay, so okay, so that seems like emotions are kind of. So you have these emotions already and you have these um, these emotions have triggered a kind of like reaction out of you and you have a sort of memory bank of these uh, prerequisite emotions. I would call it prerequisite emotions or prerequisite emotions plus the action as a consequence of that emotional arousal. Okay. Um, And they're saying like those like that reference coming up and the physical response are happening at the same time. Ooh, at the same time. Okay. So it's not like the James Lang. Okay. So it's not like the James James Lang theory. It's a physical response. Then you have an emotion. emotion. And the cannon bard is you have an emotion. Then you have the physical response. Right. While Schachter Singer is you have a physical response um, and you have like a reference point and then you Mm. have the emotion. Hmm. Okay. That's really fascinating. At least that's that's how I interpret it. I mean. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) you're Rachel. That's who you are. You're, you're very smart. And, um, no, no. Um, so, okay. So, so all of these things are happening while you're watching a film. Um, So that's interesting. Now, when you're watching the film, are you like, are these conscious processes? Like, are you consciously aware of these? um, How do I put it? Like, are you aware that, oh, I'm going to have like a physical. Yeah, the associations. Or are they just like, are they like happening on like on the level of like the unconscious? Like you watch a film, it's emotional, it triggers you. And then you start to cry or. You know what I mean? Are you asking me personally or as like a general? Yeah, we could do both. Um, I think in general, it's an unconscious thing. And I think okay. like that's why I love film so much is because mm. I personally, when I start to like read up and study and learn more about these things, the more conscious I am of those like manipulations that you see in films. Mm. So I guess for like the normal um, moviegoer, it's an unconscious uh, thing that happens. Right. And that's interesting because then that ties into what I want to get to next. So 
it's an unconscious thing. Um, if it's unconscious, it's it's although it's unconscious, it's still happening on the level of uh, it's still happening, right? So there are these processes that are processes that are happening, but to the the moviegoer, they're not consciously aware of it. So where are those processes taking place? Like which part of the brain is responsible for, say, feeling like an emotion like fear or anger or something like that? Um, from what I know, it's a bunch of different parts of the brain. Like specifically, fear comes from the amygdala, so mm. it's a bit easier to study because we know if that reacts to something, then you're feeling fear. But um, other emotions, you have like the whole limbic system that mm. can activate. Plus, um, you have memories that you associate with those emotions and a lot right. of those come from the hippocampus, so that can be activated too. Mm. Plus, on top of that, when <laughs> you're watching films, you have different processes um, that are interpreting colors and interpreting sounds that go along with the emotion that you're feeling. Mm. Right. So the amygdala, which is, you know, located in the temporal lobe, um, like you said, is a part of the limbic system. Yeah. <laughs> um, so all of that is responsible for, you know, memory, emotion. And then so when you're watching a film and let's say you uh, it triggers a kind of arousal or kind of stimulation and all of that is sort of taking place at at those different parts of, of, of the brain. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. And so these are all con unconscious things, right? They're not, they're not consciously, well, they are, oh, wow, wait, like, so they're unconscious. Right, they could be, right, 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 right. So, okay, so the conscious one, so the, 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 the conscious one would be the physiological response to it, right? Like, that's when the viewer would go, oh, okay, now, like, that's the representation of an unconscious processy that's happening, right? Mm. Yeah, like when you're back to horror, when you're watching a scary movie and like you start to feel tense and mm. stuff like that, you you're actually, I guess you could be unconscious of it, but you are on some level like, oh, I'm I'm scared. Right. Yeah. Right. Huh. That's so interesting. And so you're not really sure, like, when or, like, what really triggered, like, is it, like, do you think, um, like, is it one thing, like, in that film, like, say, like, a horror film, for example, that trigger that sense of fear, or is it, like, multiple things? So, for example, would it be, like, you know, the the sort of the um, the frightened expression of the actress or the actor um, and in combination with the, I don't know, the creature or something, and then the combination of the musical score. So it's like, is it is it all of those things, like, do you think that are causing these arousal or is it, could it be just like one single moment in that film that sort of does it? I think from what I know, Mm -hmm. It's one specific sort of trigger okay. that um, can be like influenced by other things. Right. Like I know um, the that original like uh, neurocinema study. Um, mm -hmm. 
that mind sign neuromarketing was a part of that whole thing. Okay. They were looking at. Um, they were looking at sh like showing a person a scene from a horror film and then seeing what specifically was triggering their amygdala. Like if right. it was the uh, introduction of music or if it was like a certain way that a character looked, they mm. were looking at that one specific trigger. Right. But I guess, um, especially when you're looking at like the atmosphere of a film, Mm. Again, like with horror, it's a combination of everything that makes you feel that uh, tense and uh, scared sort of atmosphere. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. And so this was, so you brought up neurocinema. What is, for some people who may not know what neurocinema is, what, can you just give us like a brief sort of definition of it? Like what's, what's the purpose? What's their goal? What are they trying to achieve? So... Neurocinema, it's this very new scientific field. There isn't that much research into it yet, mm -hmm. but they're looking at how films um, stimulate the brain and affect the brain. So mm -hmm. they put someone in an MRI machine and they show them different scenes from different films and they want to see how their brain reacts and what parts of their brains react to it. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. And why are they, so why are they doing that? Are they, are they doing that because they genuinely want to know um, how uh, the viewers are sort of responding to the film or to like a specific stimuli? Or are they doing it because they are desperate? <laughs> They're desperate to like extract, um, uh, I guess, the most like, emotion out of people so they can have people watch their films over and over again so they can have they can make more money as a as an industry and by i and by they i mean the film i mean hollywood is that is that I do you think, is that correct i think um like the researchers themselves are probably just wanting to look into how the brain works because that's right. what like neuroscientists are looking for but the people who are paying for these studies, the um, like mind sign neuromarketing and those um, like film production companies are probably looking to make their films better in a sense to make them mm. evoke a certain emotion better. Mm. That's a good point. Okay, so to evoke a certain emotion better, um, so so they're gonna use. So they're going to use color, they're going to use music, and of course the actor or the actress uh, themselves are also going to play a part in how uh, the viewers interpret the films. Um, so um, that's interesting. Are there like specific films that you have in mind that demonstrates how like all of this comes together like the color the music and the expression of the character the uh the actor themselves like really evokes a kind of emotion that gets audience like really really like aroused and or excited or stimulated or whatever like do you have any films that kind of because i have okay so i have um there's a film 
came out in 2017. It's called Lemon, and it's starring Brett Gelman and uh, Michael Sarah, and it's directed by Janika Bravo. Um, it's really, really good. Um, the color palette, the color scheme was amazing. It was phenomenal. There was like a lot of bright colors, very poppy colors, um, like yellow, blue, green. Um, but at the same time, though, the actor himself um had a very sort of flat personality he was socially awkward he was um kind of dark right very very disconcerting personality um and that like that dichotomy was very interesting and although i wasn't like like it was like after i saw the film then i started thinking about like how the ways in which the color scheme was sort of antagonizing the actual character's expression sort of underscored the, I guess, emotional ambiguity of the character. Um, and I thought that was like very, very fascinating. But like during the film, I was like, I was kind of like, I noticed it, but I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you probably weren't too aware of it because you were in the story. Mm. You weren't like focusing on background colors and stuff like that. And I think that's what makes it um, like a subconscious thing. Mm. because even though you're not consciously like oh that door is red that must mean something you're right. um unconsciously making associate associations and patterns that mm -hmm. cause you to have these sort of emotions oh yeah so right in terms of like specific films the great thing about it is that like you could pretty much pick any film and you could start to like pick apart color schemes and music score and everything but I know specifically like Wes Anderson films, mm. he's really good at using um, different color palettes and different music scores to like create his own sort of atmosphere. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know how many of his films you've seen, but like you can turn on the TV to a film and you can know automatically that it's one of his films. Right. Is his film, you're going to, you probably, you might hurt me for this, but is it a. Jurassic Park is that a Wes Anderson film or no? no? Okay, um, which one was that one? Jurassic Park, the original, yeah. Steven Spielberg, yeah, Steven Spielberg, right? But like, Wes Anderson is um, so many people are gonna hate me right now, they're gonna be like, What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> it's a classic film, I know, <laughs> like Wes Anderson, uh, Rushmore, Fantastic Mr. Fox, The Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, okay. He just did Isle of Dogs. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Right. A really good one, if you want to, like, look at color, is um, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Ooh. Yeah. I wanted to see that, really? but I never... Yeah. You haven't seen it? No, I haven't. It's good. I remember the first time I watched it, I watched it with one of my friends who's also, like, a big film buff, and we mm. kept pausing the movie to just, like, <laughs> look at and talk about specific scale shots because wow. uh, there was like such good symmetry and color in it because mm. you know we're nerds <laughs> yeah that's so interesting no because i feel like uh you have to be like if you are like that interested in film you have to also be interested in like how it's being put together so no that totally makes sense if you guys are like pausing and like analyzing each section like that that's so cool yeah yeah that's really cool
and that also means that um so these films like these these emotions these uh these emotions that people are feeling it's not happening by random right so so for you and your friends when you guys are pausing you know that film and you're looking at this stuff um you're understanding that there's there's a combination of things that are happening um in order to make people feel a certain way right so a lot of these emotions that are um that people are feeling are very they're intentional they're not they're not by act by accident um so that's very very interesting can you imagine a scenario where that would be i guess counterintuitive or something like that um i mean i love it i think it's super super interesting that mm. you can like a filmmaker can do such small little things that when put together can create an emotion because it's like you know that what you're seeing is fake and right. yet, like you can feel for a character and you can really get into a story mm. and i think like people who are able to do that that's really really interesting right however i will say um there are times when I don't know if it's necessarily bad, but it's something that you should be aware of, like in terms of like propaganda, mm. like um, they're using the same sort of techniques that filmmakers today use, but they were doing it to like make you hate something or love someone. Mm. I can't think of the names of specific things, but you know, like the old war propaganda films. Oh yeah, 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 Hitler and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, because I think it was the uh, the Nazis who actually started that whole propaganda sort of um, approach to you know make more people fall in love with their ideas and to also get more recruits. So yeah, that's very true. There was like a film. Um, we watched it in class too. I can't remember what it was, but yeah, it was like a very popular old like German film that literally just catapulted that whole idea that you can start making films that has a certain kind of ideology behind it that, yeah. you know, people, when they watch it, they will like fall in love with it and believe it. So yeah, that's, that's really amazing. It, I, it really underscores the power of cinema and the power of the moving image, which would have never been, which would have never been possible if it wasn't for, um, the Luminaire brothers who were like the first people who created, um, what do you call it? The cinematography. Is that right? Um, yeah, but it's like spelled, it's like spelled differently. Oh, is it, is it like French spelled? Yeah. And then that's where the word cinema is actually derived from. So yeah, big ups to those guys for actually creating, um, the kind of, I guess, artistic, mechanism or uh, tool that allows people to when they watch some certain films or watch certain movies whatever they feel inspired or they feel emotions um but yeah it could also go the opposite way and um yeah there's been you know instances in cinema uh where uh it's been used to make audiences feel either anger towards like another country you know in that way to you know sort of um continue war propaganda or to continue uh you know division between countries or something like that yeah, yeah like i was just watching the news last night and i don't know if you know about the new show all about uh chernobyl 
No, 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 no. HBO, and I, I don't know anything about Chernobyl, so I can't say who's right and who's wrong. Mm. But um, there's this American show, and Russia is mm. up in arms about it, and now they're going to create their own show. Their own show. <laughs> that's like, well, that's so funny. Happened. It happened, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious, though. That's so funny. <laughs> that's so funny. Mm. So that brings us to a very interesting point, um, because we're kind of talking a little bit about criticisms of the uh, emotions that we feel from these films. Uh, Do you see any criticism for, you know, uh, the people that are pursuing uh, um, that are pursuing neurocinema that are interested in excavating uh, you know, people's brain scans and like the parts of the brain that you know, are responsible for certain emotions? Like, do you see anything wrong with that at all? Um, are you talking about, like, the the people who are doing the research or the people who are using the research for their own sort of agenda? Uh, the latter. Uh, yeah, I guess I do see something a little bit wrong with it. Honestly, um, in my opinion, I don't see this sort of neurocinema, neuromarketing thing becoming big enough that, like, big film production companies are going to employ um, these neuroscientists to um, do their audience testing that sort of way. Mm. But, um, like I mentioned before, like, there are... uh, like people who do eye tracking when um, you have like audience testing. And that isn't necessarily the same thing as neurocinema, but I don't know. I guess I don't see it as that big of a deal. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? Maybe I can bounce off of you. Yeah, bounce off. <laughs> uh, yeah, my thoughts are um, I see the, the film industry, uh, specifically the traditional film going experience, um, in, a, in a decline, right? I see it declining. Yeah. And uh, you have, like, you'll have every now and then a film that does really well at the box office, like the film Wonder Woman, for example, or the film. Um, Black Panther, or recently the film uh, The Avengers Endgame. Like, you'll have these films. It's really big right now. Yeah, yeah, they're very big right now. Um, So, if it wasn't for those kind of movies, um, the, you know, people would, you know, continue to lose interest in going to a movie theater to sit through a movie, sit sit through a film. so I see neurocinema and um, the people who are interested in collecting, you know, data on how people are responding to their films uh, neurologically as this last fucking attempt, a very desperate one, to to boost or to revitalize the film, uh, uh, a weak um, 
industry that's losing revenue every fucking year. Uh, so that's that's how I see it. So I see it like so while I, I, I think it's interesting that um, we're going to a point where we can actually find out how people are feeling neurologically. Right. Um, because that's 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 huge. That's that's revolutionary. Like if you go back to the Luminaire brothers, um, like that's what they were trying to do almost right they were trying especially with their one of their most uh popular film uh arriving train i think it's called where uh the viewers and the audience because the train a lot of them was the first time that they were you know seeing a film a moving image for the first time and it was a moving image of a train and so this train was coming at them um and it just it it made them it made them feel scared. It made them terrified. In fact, you had many people who fucking ran out of the theater um, because they felt like the train was literally coming out of the the TV, the, um, the screen, and you know, going to run them over. Um, so, but the Luminaire brothers, like, if they would have known, I wonder if they would have known, like, <laughs> like beforehand, if they had like like the technology that we have now to like to know that maybe when people see something like that, they might feel terrified and then as a consequence run out of the movie theater and not watch it. Like, I wonder if they would have still like went ahead and like made the film or something that that'd be very interesting. Um, but my point is um, mo uh, movies and filmmakers, like we've been like people who are interested in this stuff are always like we've always been interested in what the viewer thinks, right? How the viewer is like feeling uh, towards the film that we're showing them. And that kind of emotion, that information, you know, enables us to, you know, make better films or, or, um, or in the cases where the film is like really shitty, it like motivates us to not make any more films. Um, unfortunately that doesn't happen. Terrible, terrible and shitty films are regularly made, are made on a reg on regular, regular basis. So, Obviously, some directors are not getting it. Um, but my point is, um, I see, I see all of this, this, this interest um, into, you know, collecting people's data. So, you know, you know, it could be used um, to understand how they're feeling, as you know, that desperate attempt to try not only to um, uh, to try to keep the film a very uh, dilapidated film industry sort of going, but I also see it as a irrational attempt to pursue perfection, and nothing is perfect. There's um, uh, things are complicated. Uh, so um, if these individuals are trying to pursue a perfect film, um, are trying to yeah, they're trying to pursue a perfect film. Um, it's just, it just doesn't, it just, it's, it's not, it's not possible. So I see it as like them not being able to face reality. Right. Um, and, uh, trying to make, they're trying to make people, you know, have like, I guess this could be a good thing, right? Because they're trying to make people have like, they're trying to make people feel something and henceforth have like a positive experience. So that's good, right? There's something genuinely good and noble about that pursuit but at the same time though because the industry is heavily profit driven i feel that it might like the the latter might take over the former right like it actually it might this this in, this interest into this field um might actually be more about making money than about making people feel 
genuine emotions. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, yeah, it would definitely be a problem if, like, they took away the whole creative process of filmmaking and, like, tried to turn it into a formula. Mm, 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 mm. Right, um, right, right, right. And I think my hope for neurocinema is that um, if it does end up, like, becoming a popular thing, that it's not the film industry that actually uses it, but it's, like, psychologists that try to use it for some form of therapy, almost. Mm. But um, that's a ways away, so we right. can only hope that people aren't going to use it for sinister purposes, but, right. you know, Hollywood's like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for real. That's so true. Um, okay, so let's take a break and do... Just like some random shit. Yeah. You heard my chickens. <laughs> you heard my chickens? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was gonna like I was actually gonna stop you and be like, hey, I hear chickens. Like, we're on a roll, so I didn't want to. Yeah, I don't know if you heard my dad too, but he was just like, Hey, where is Mena? That's my brother, his name's Mena. And my dad's like, Where's Mena? And um, because the chickens are hungry. Like he said that in my language, you know. <laughs> um, I was like, Oh, uh, well, so I kinda like you couldn't see it, but I kinda like leaned over and I was like, one minute, one minute. <laughs> like, wait, I'm talking. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, they go off. They're they're rowdy sometimes. They're really rowdy. Yeah. Um Okay, so yes, ask your question. So, tell me something interesting about yourself. Oh, gosh. Um, something interesting? I don't know, man. <laughs> that could be a response. Be like, I don't know. That's, that's That could work. Uh, no, there's something interesting about you. I know there is. You're so interesting. I know I like, for one, I like your... Uh, you wear these... Um, okay, so just, just let me clarify for people that are listening. So Rachel and I, we A, we go to the same school, and B, we had a couple classes together. And uh, yeah, I, I really liked your um, your hat. Like, what do you call those things oh, that you wear? Yeah. Okay, um, those are, I wear crocheted slouch hats. Nice, nice. Yeah. You, you get them at the fair. Like, it's very, like, unique how you get yeah. them. Okay, explain that. I totally forgot about that. Um, so yeah, I have like very uh, curly, thick hair. Yeah, you and do. Some days I just don't want to deal with it. But I never used to wear hats because like the skull caps, I ah. couldn't fit all of my hair into it. And like baseball caps, um, it would like look really bushy coming off <laughs> of the side of the hat. So I just never wore hats. I went to this uh, craft fair, mm. um, and there was a woman there who was sh uh, selling these uh, slouch hats, okay. um, and she had crocheted them herself. And I bought one because it was like rainbow, and I was like, oh, I love this. Mm. And then I was like bored for the first time, and I was like, oh my god, I can fit all of my hair <laughs> into this. So nice. days when I don't feel like dealing with my hair, I can wear this hat. Wear a hat, so right. Now, um, cause like I tried to find hats like this online and I couldn't, like okay. I spent a year wow. looking for the same sort of hats and like they make slouch hats, but they don't make them the way that this woman does. Wow. So where now, is this, where's the woman located? Like, was this like in New York state or is this somewhere like in Buffalo or what? Like where, this was, um, do you know where like Heim middle is? No idea where that is. It's like 10 minutes away from our university. 
Okay. It's like five minutes away from my house, mm. but it was uh, like high middle uh, winter craft fair. Okay. Um, and like he doesn't have a website or anything uh, like that. Yeah, so I was going to ask you that. Them. So now every year I go to this craft fair knowing that like I'm going to buy a couple of her hats. Nice. <laughs> and they're not cheap either. Like oh, I know I'm spending yeah. money for these. Damn. But it's how, worth how much are they? Are they like super expensive? Um, they're thirty dollars because like one get, like each thirty dollars each. You get a hat and you get a scarf that she makes. Okay, I guess that works. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I always I give the scarves to my mom because I don't really wear scarves. Oh, that's so, so it's sweet. perfect when when the craft fair we always want to go. Ah, nice. That's nice. where we do a lot of our uh, Christmas shopping, Christmas nice. and Hanukkah shopping. Oh, that's an interesting fact. I am. Yeah. I celebrate Hanukkah and Christmas. Oh, that's so cool. I'm half awesome. Jewish, half Catholic. Nice, nice, nice. Awesome. But yeah, the the craft fair. We love the craft fair. We love craft fairs in general. <laughs> That's so cool. So, uh, tell me, uh, so is there something that you don't know that you wish you could know more of? In general? Yeah. Oh, man. I'd like to know, like, the secrets of the universe. (laughs) Something I wish I knew more about. Probably filmmaking, because... Like I mentioned before, I'm minoring in media study, but I'm mainly into the theory aspect of film. Mm. Um, and like, I think I've made like five short films in my entire filmmaking career. So I think I should, I'd like to get into that sort of thing more, especially um, editing, because mm. I like film editing. Mm. Yeah, and I okay, uh, no. more specifically like uh, video essays. Like I've made one video essay before, and I yes, and I would yes. like, to, like get more into that. Okay, yes, I'm gonna actually link your. Uh, I'm gonna link your video essay oh, with gosh. this. Oh <laughs> the information so might not good. be relevant still. <laughs> no, it's good. I, I yeah, because um, so for people who may not know. Uh, you did a um it was your first video essay right called uh, the your brain on film yeah and that was the backdrop for for this discussion right now about the psychology of of uh of cinema so so yeah that was really cool i enjoyed watching it it was, it was very well done um yeah you did a very very good job oh thank you yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I'm, I was like, after I watched it, I'm like, yo, is there another one? Like, what the fuck? You know? I know. I should really <laughs> like, do part two because I remember doing that and like, I only had, it was like, it had to be no more than 10 minutes mm-hmm. and I got all this information and I had to condense it down into 10 minutes because mm. there was so much more I could have talked about. Yeah, totally. Totally. So I like how you had the theories and then you connected them to actual examples of like films and all that sort of stuff. So that was that was good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You're so welcome. Okay, we're gonna get back to the show. How do you want to wrap this up? So, because um, you have to go somewhere at you know soon. Yeah, so there's like so much more we can talk about. There is a ton of more we can talk about. Uh, uh, we didn't maybe, talk about like 
uh, I didn't think we gave a lot of examples of films, though. I was like, just going to say, like, we could actually yeah. get into some examples. And then I also wanted to mention something about... Uh, um, I wanted to mention something about the basoganglia, um, which is also a part of the... Uh, the limbic system that's responsible for memory and, you know, um, instinct and all that sort of stuff. And um, what's really important about it, though, is it's also responsible for implicit memory, right? So it's the type of memory that you do habitually, you do without thinking. It's, it's, it becomes unconscious almost. Um, I know for me, I was very big on basketball and uh, I played so many best, so many hours of basketball that now when I have a ball in my hand, like I don't think what I'm going to do next, I just do it. And that's the same, you know, that's true for most athletes. Um, so what I thought was interesting was, okay, so these films that we're watching and um, you know um, the people who are using neuro the techniques of neurocinema like using the MRI machine to um, you know uh, discover which part of the brain is responsible for you know um, feelings like emotion like uh, anger or you know uh, guilt or stress or you know whatever um, what I thought was interesting was, they're going to like when they show when they're going to show their film to the audience the audiences um these information or these uh, stimuli is going to go to this part of the brain which is the basal ganglia um it's going to go to other parts too but 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 it's going to go to this part as well and because this part is responsible for you know implicit memory right memory that you're not thinking about but in some way shape or form you are sort of reenacting it um i saw that as you know potentially problematic um because now a lot of these audiences are going to have artificial memories that are not a that are not theirs um and uh and because it's in the section of the brain that it's you know it's 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 associated with like deep long-term memory it's going to be very hard for these audiences to sort of you know um uh, uh get over these memories right to forget these memories um so i saw that as being you know a potential problem in the uh in the future um there was also something else that i noticed too that i wanted to talk about um right right okay so so generally when you watch a film um uh um you're just you're just watching it right and and you know you have your own emotions and your own sort of repository of emotional experiences um and you know and that is you know working in tandem with the film that you're watching and depending on your own emotional sensitivity um it triggers the film may trigger uh, uh, an arousal and you know you know you might feel that emotion physiologically okay but um that's before any idea of there being an mri machine scanning your brain and knowing exactly where your um your emotional triggers are right so um that's before you know filmmakers getting that information and then using that to create films that you know induces those kind of emotions in the viewer so for those instances when you watch films um you're able to sort of rid yourself of the emotion right you're able to sort of forget the emotions um but when we go into this new territory of creating films 
that are specifically targeting areas of the brain, like the basal ganglia, that are responsible for deep, habitual, long-term memory, it's going to be harder now for people to walk away, um, I guess, neurologically from you know the the emotions that they've just you know consumed um so yeah that, i i thought that was that's just my weird way of of looking looking at stuff but do yeah you... i never really thought about that because mm. you're right it is a lot of um like when you watch a film you are making like associations and connections that stay with you Mm. And I never really thought about um, how, like, if you're specifically targeting an emotion, right? How that's going to affect you later on once you're yeah. out of this scenario, right? Like in the long, long term. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if, like, was that? I don't know. Maybe well, if anything, ahead. it could, it could like desensitize you. Ah, certain emotions right like if you watch a lot of horror movies that are specifically designed to scare you you mm. can just like not feel fear anymore right well for specific things at least right and it's we know this is new territory yeah it really is and because we like we know we know some you know examples of um of course, it's not like it's not uh, like the evidence is not like exclusively this one thing. But we know that people who are desensitized to, let's say, violence, for example, do go out and commit, you know, horrible atrocities on people um, in society. So, yeah. So this industry, this new frontier now of neurocinema could potentially, you know, add to that already. Um, I don't know. Help me out here, Rachel. Um, already skeptical, um, I don't know what you're trying to say. No, because, like, okay, so films make us feel a certain way, um, they evoke a certain emotion, and, um, those emotions, if exposed for long periods of time, can make us, can desensitize us, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so what I'm trying to say is that um, if somebody's watching that sort of stuff and they become desensitized to, let's say, violence, then they're more likely going to go out and, you know, reenact that thing without having a, any kind of emotional sort of connection to what they've just done because of um, their desensitization. Um, so what I was trying to say was, or I was trying to connect neurocinema and the people that are pursuing this stuff um and the people that are emphasizing on extracting um uh, uh a, a lot of emotion emotional data i guess from people that i see it as uh the potential long-term consequence of that is um they're going to create they're going to desensitize people to a point where um, you know, they might do certain actions and not feel any sort of remorse because of it. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, it's possible, especially if um, they're at a younger age. I don't know how much it would affect, like, a grown adult who already has these, like, uh, that's a very good actions point. formed. But that's, that's yeah, a very good children. point. Right? That's a very good point. Yeah. And we do know, like, 
but we do know like a lot of film a lot of children watch films like i know i skipped there would be movies that's like oh rated r fuck that i would still watch them so you yeah, yeah. know <laughs> we know that's happening um but yeah um and yeah it's it's gonna be hard to determine to determine like you know uh you know if 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 those kids do watch if those kids like me in the past like snuck into the movie theater and like watched movies that you know are insanely inappropriate or violent violent or whatever um and they go out and you know do something horrible because of that like it's going to be hard to sort of pinpoint like that was the specific reason right um yeah because i've had and this is kind of like a sub conversation or like a meta conversation right now but i've had uh debates with one of my students um because i i teach videography at the buffalo center for arts and technology and um i have this one student in particular that likes to debate and uh one of the things that we debated debated about was you know whether or not um gun violence is responsible for um for mass shootings or is it video games right so we're trying to figure out is it video games or is it you know um gun violence or is it like you know uh too many guns like which which one is it um and yeah like we went in circles a lot but um one of his defense was it's not video games video games aren't violent it's the person themselves that have a sort of predisposition to violence um you know maybe because of their upbringing or maybe because they were bullied at school and it's that that um causes the person to go out and commit like a mass murder um so yeah i thought that was interesting but then i couldn't get away from the fact that like yeah sure that's that's true but um video games are also violent um so we basically got nowhere and uh we were both um kind of like you know we like disagree we like agree disagree to agree basically and i was like hey well you're not gonna win because it's it's either or like it's my my section is right your section is right um and and that's that but yeah so yeah so going back to the movie stuff like um if people are you know impacted by the films that they watch and then they go on and do something horrible um it's going to be very difficult to find out if whether or not the it was that film or the films that they watch was a result of that but i think we can actually make that argument though because if we have because the data is there right like because if we have because we're not just it's not like before where we're just making people watch films and you know that's that like we're not there's no data being collected or there was data being collected but not at the level of so sort of the neurological level right so i think in the consequence in the scenario when a person watches a film that's you know extremely violent or extremely sexualized whatever and let's say for example go out and like rape somebody because of that film because they've been so desensitized from watching these intensely emotional films or intensely like arousing films or whatever um i think we can we can make the argument that it was let's say the people that are that were interested in neurocinema that are responsible for that outcome um namely because there's data to support it right so these brain scans that are coming out um there it would there would be like uh like an archive of of of, of brain scans of, of people and and um and the results of them and how you know from that information is 
what was used to make a film extremely, you know, um, uh, frightening or something like that. Whereas for in the debate for um, whether or not uh, video games are the cause of, of mass shoot shootings, um, that one it's 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 difficult to prove because there is no there's no data, right? There's nobody, there's no fucking scientist at every teenager's house watching them play the game and then following them to school and then you know what i mean like there's that's not happening um but um it would be the case though if let's say they were like their brains were hooked up to some kind of machine that as they were playing the game was recording their data um their neurological data and seeing exactly what parts of the brain were being quote unquote des desensitized because of the game that they were playing so if, if if we had that happening then the argument or the debate that i was having with my student um would you know would 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 lean towards there would be like a clear answer because the information is there so the point i'm trying to make is that um i think neural cinema is interesting but in a scenario when individuals especially young uh teens become desensitized to something um we can point to the folks in you know the neurocinema and say hey you guys are responsible for this because the fucking films that you're making are you know are um are you know showing extreme are, are causing uh, extreme emotions in people, right? It's not just normal emotions anymore. It's extreme emotions, um, yeah, for the purpose of of making profit. So that's my two cents on that. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we didn't talk about... Um, so we're kind of running out of time here, but um, are there like films that you wanted to bring up that underscores um, the, the 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 sort of amazing relationship of like color, sound, and acting that caused uh, uh, really cool emotions in people? Um, let's see. Off the top of my head, I know what like. Uh, Colors and music, a lot of times what they do in film is they create patterns or associations mm. so that, um, like, you associate, like, a certain color with um, a certain emotion so that when that color comes up again, um, the emotion is there and, like, the filmmaker doesn't have to provide anything else to uh, have you feel that emotion. Okay. So I know that, like, have you seen the Matrix films? Ah, yes, 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 yes. Um, and I talked about this in the video essay. You how, did. Like, um, all the scenes within the Matrix are, like, they have a green tint to them. Mm. And everything outside of the Matrix um, has a blue tint to it. Mm. Uh, anything that involves, like, the source is white. And ah, that's anything right. that involves danger is red. So that's so funny. That's, that's so funny because that, I never, I wasn't thinking about that when I was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, so no, like you're not, yeah, not yeah, yeah. aware of it, but right, right, like right. anytime there's red in a certain scene in that film, you might feel a little tense. You might feel a little panicked, oh, and you might not know why. Right. And it's because right. you're, um, you've unconsciously made this association already. Oh wow. 
as for like music, um, like we talked about syntactic matching, that's also my favorite when it matches uh, <laughs> the beat of the action lines up with the beat of the music. Nice. And um, yeah, that's also it's all about associations. Like uh, mm -hmm. when you hear a song that has minor chords in it, you already associate minor chord minor chords with, with with sadness, right? Yeah. Or melancholy, right? So it's just interesting. So like, uh, what's a mm -hmm. film with uh, minor chords? Maybe like The Dark uh, Knight. A Dark Knight, yeah. Or uh, Schindler's List. Yep. That was, a, that was a really good one. Um, so, like, without, like, knowing anything about the film, you can mm -hmm. listen to the theme song and you'd know, oh, this is, is going to uh, be a sad Right. Or, like, Star Wars is a really good example. Yeah. Like, yeah, I can, because you brought that up in your video essay. And what's yeah. even better is that these associations, like you were mentioning before, you have these associations and then you leave the theater and you still have these associations. Mm, right, and then right, right. other films can use those. So if you hear, oh. like, if you have a character in a film and you're a filmmaker and you want the audience to understand that they're evil or like there's something sinister going on, but you don't want to outright say it, right. you play the Imperial March. And then it's Ooh, like, oh, that's a right. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Right, 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 right. I I love that you just said that other films can also use that too. Like that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Wow. Yeah, no, that's true because um like when you like before like somebody can just because we've been so inundated with, you know, movies, but um to pick one, Star Wars, um, like we know the theme, we know that song, and we know what like what's to come when we hear it. So it's so interesting that you say that because yeah, I can just like if I hear it, I don't have to see it, but I know what film it is. I make that association. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting, and that's uh, because we have the thing in the brain, right? I think you also talked about this too. That does that, like what the the. I'm going to let you say it um, if you if you remember. Um, but like the, the mechanism in the brain that allows us to make associations, like what is that? Um, I think it's a combination of things. I know it's the hippocampus because that has to do with memory. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was the... Look my the, notes. Yeah, like the... The mirror... The oh, yes. mirror neurons. Yeah, yeah, the cortex yeah. too, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, mirror neurons, that's for... Um, when that has to do with uh, looking at other people, mm, not mm. so much associations. That's when, like, if you see a, another person smile, you might mm. smile because your mirror neurons are mirroring them. Okay. So that has to do more like, so I'm thinking like when we watch an actor or an actress exhibit an emotion, and if yeah. they're sad, like we would also interpret that as well, feeling the same emotion. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Wow. That's so cool. Like all of this is so fascinating and I'm like, I'm learning so much. <laughs> like all the things that we talked about is like, you know, stuff that I didn't know before. And, um, and yeah, it's so, so fascinating. So, so fascinating. Um, hmm. Yeah. There's so many, yeah, there's like, 
there's a lot there's a lot dude there's the there's the actual like neurological mechanism that's happening and then there's the i guess so neurological mechanism could be unconscious and then there's the conscious decision of the viewer to go and see the film um and then there is the the people who put together the film and the intentionality behind uh certain you know um scenes and and you know and you know which comes in the form of you know the color or the expression of the actor or the sound that's accompanying uh the scene um and yeah you have all these things that are sort of happening that um and then of course you have the you know the per the own the viewer's own sort of personal historiography right um and their own emotional history and their emotional triggers um and you know all these things are sort of working in tandem to create a very interesting uh experience when they're in front of the the film that's so interesting yeah that's so fascinating what's your um what's your favorite film like what for you like the film that really um underscores all the stuff that we're talking about today oh man i don't know if i have a film like that i can tell you my favorite film yes my favorite film is the lost boys the lost boys what's that so like 1980s vampire film okay but are you looking it up yeah yeah Oh, cool. But okay. the reason it's my favorite film is because I have so many like associations with it. Mm. Because um, like it was the first like adult themed film that I ever watched, which was cool because I was like super young. Mm. And uh, I also watched it the first time I ever like stayed up super late. <laughs> So, like, I just have like, right. such nostalgia associated with that film that whenever I watch it, I'm like, huh, I feel so happy and nostalgic. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's so cool. Nice. What's Did you your... watch, uh, oh, mine? Uh, I like The Godfather. Mm-hmm. I thought that was, yeah, I really like those. That was a good, that was a good film. Um, yeah. Um... What other films are really stuck to me? Uh, Godfather was one. Um, oh boy. Yeah, like Wes Anderson films for me are always. Oh yeah. They have a very um, not necessarily happy tone, but like a bright tone mm. to them, and I love that. Mm. I love uh, like any films where I can like tell automatically who the director is. Oh, right. Like such trademarks like Quentin Tarantino. Right. right, right, right. Yeah, like their aesthetics and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. so true. Thank you so much for being here and for taking the time out of your day to um, talk with me about um, the psychology of film. Yeah, no problem. Thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah, this is great. Um, so, so we're gonna. So I expect to see your like. You're gonna be on the big screen someday, right? <laughs> making people feel crazy emotions and stuff like oh, that. Oh, that would be so much fun. Yeah, and I I you you'd be perfect for it too because you you're not only like you're not like you're not only like interested in films but you're, you know, um really interested in like how the films are like impacting people 
and uh, and you you you're coming at it from that background, right, and from that interest. And uh, so yeah, yeah, your the films that you make will definitely definitely um, impact people in a way that I'm sure will not um, be unintentional, will be very intentional, um, but in a very fucking good way. So yeah, yeah. So and I'm so happy that we had class together too, and I got to like see your work because I really fucking liked your films. They're so oh, they were great. Yeah. Man, I loved yours too. Oh, thank you, thank you. All right. Well, um, yeah, this has been the pod. Um, again, the what was the subtitle? It was like, I'm not an expert, but that's okay. So yeah. Rachel, Rachel and I were not experts, but um, that's okay. That's okay. Um, we that's had okay. a good conversation. Yeah, we did. We had a great conversation. So, all right. Um, okay. Thanks, Rachel. See ya. Goodbye. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for sticking around to this uh, first episode of the pod, a.k.a. I am not an expert, but that is okay. Um, I hope you found this episode to be informative and beneficial in some way, shape, or form. If you do want to stay in touch with Rachel, um, her Instagram information is Rachel, that's R-A-C-H-E-E-L underscore the, T-H-E underscore moose m-o-o-s-e again that's rachel underscore the underscore moose and if you want to stay in touch with me on instagram facebook twitter it's all the same thing it's just my name my first name and my last name which is loga benson so that's l-e-w-u-g-a last name benson b-e-n-s-o-n okay Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, Please do support it by going to my website at intellectualcrimescene.com and listening and downloading and leaving comments. And uh, until next time, I will see you guys. Okay, stay safe. Peace.